Amen. Thanks, Elaine, Stephen, for that wonderful music every week. It's great to be able to come to church and be uplifted and just hear wonderful praises. Amen. Well, um, the Lord has been doing a lot here at Arden First. For those of you who weren't here last week, we had a special baptism of Lucas, and then we saw children come forward and receiving Christ and rededicating their lives. And I told my wife, I was like, that was a special service, uh, what God did. So really appreciate that. Speaking of children, how many of you got a chance to go down the children's wing? All right, some of you did. Well, here's the before picture, and let's show the after picture. We've got a few of them here. Got a nice barn, barnwood barn wall. That's um, where the children are going to be checking in. Got a nice little gate for the kids. And I think we got one more, the new carpet. So it's about 99% of the work done. We still got some furniture on the way, and we got the logo metal art that we got to finish up there. You probably noticed the A. But I'm really excited. And the good news about this is you guys paid for it debt-free. We didn't have to take out any loans to do the project and didn't come out of the budget. So let's give yourselves a hand. So it sends a message to our families that we care about your kids and we care about every stage of life. And we are a church for all generations. Our, our mission here, for those of you who haven't memorized it yet, is uh, we're still working on it is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. And we're all ordinary, right, before we encounter Jesus. But once he encounters us, we get to experience extraordinary life in Christ. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it does mean it's blessed. Doesn't mean you'll always be happy, but does mean you can be filled with joy. And um, we often like to say, you know, what is church about? How do you guys grow? Our process is really simple. It's B3. We're a place where you can belong Believe and become. So whenever you go to a Sunday school class, a life group, it should be a place where you feel like you belong. And every time the scripture is read, you should believe the word of God and receive it. And whenever you receive it, then you become what the scripture tells you you'll become. So it's a process. And today we're going to be in Ephesians 2. And this is like a part two of the message last week. Um, it was kind of fun last week. I said, don't walk out. I mean, the first 15 minutes, it's... Uh, a little tough, but, you know, the word of God is true. And I was reading the book of Hebrews this week where it says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than a two-edged what? Sword. So anytime we read the Bible, it should feel like spiritual surgery if we really take it. So there should be some ouches and some amens and some Lord help me because we are imperfect people, right? But when we encounter God, he's a surgeon that knows what he's doing. And if we'll let him do surgery on us every time we experience life change. So we're going to be in Ephesians 2. And as you turn there, I was reading a story about Howard Hendricks. He was a, a famous professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And um, his life didn't start off so well. I was kind of amazed at his story. In the fifth grade, his any fifth grade teachers here? Thought fifth grade. I know we've got a few school teachers. But in the fifth grade, his teacher basically said, you are the worst student in the school. And she said that over and over again. And Howard's like, it's not like I didn't know that. I mean, she's trying to remind me of the inevitable that I'm just a bad kid. So he said, you know, to summarize, it was the worst year of my life. But in the sixth grade, he thought it was going to be just like it was the previous five grades. He had a teacher named Miss No. And Miss No was calling the student attendance sheet 
calling down the roll, and she came across his name, Howard Hendricks. And when she read his name, she paused and looked up at him and said, Howard, I've heard a lot about you. And then she smiled and said, but I don't believe a word of it. And he said from that moment on, the trajectory of his life changed. He began to do homework. He began to study. He began to stay after school. He began to do special assignments. Because he said, for the first time in my life, someone believed in me. Someone showed me grace. And he went on to be the famous Howard Hendricks that um, really uh, changed, changed a, lot of, a lot of people's lives. So today we're going to talk about the subject of grace and how sometimes grace, we think we understand it and often we don't, and I'm there with, with that. In my, my Sunday school class today, we're talking about how grace, if we don't have a full understanding of it, it can be our own version of grace, or it can be watered down, or we can add stuff to grace. But simple grace is God treating you much better than what you deserve, based upon no merit of your own, God loving you. Like Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when we brought nothing to the table, we left with everything. We left rich in Christ. So if you're real, we're going to read, we'll read Ephesians 2, 7 through 10 with me. And this is kind of a part two from last week's message. It says that in the ages to come, and the background, by the way, is we were dead, but now we're alive, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I love that. The exceeding riches. And then a verse that many of us are familiar with. This is one of the most quoted verses in the Bible besides John 3.16. And you guys could quote it from memory. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is it a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now verses 8 and 9 we often quote in an evangelistic context, like leading someone to Christ, and it works well with that. But the book of Ephesians was actually written to Christians. So this is some family truths that you're already saved. And we can definitely use this as an evangelism tool, but we're going to maybe see some different layers as Christians that maybe we haven't thought about. In verse 9 it says, Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Remember in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says that we were dead. So a dead person can't really brag that he's alive now or she's alive. And then he says in verse 10, such a beautiful uh, verse, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, we pray blessings on your word. We pray as we unpack these three verses, God, that you would speak to our heart that we would understand what Ephesians 2 has to say. And God, we pray your richest blessings will be upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about your story is a story of grace. The first point comes from verse 7. Your story is a grace story that has a beginning but no ending. Look at verse 7. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness Toward us in Christ Jesus. So the, the idea here is God is so good that it's, it's going to take all of eternity for you to begin to realize how good he is. And isn't, isn't it a beautiful picture that he's just so good, he's going to lavish it on you. And it says, exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness. So the question as I was reading this is if God is so good and he's so rich in grace, why do so many Christians walk around with a frown? I think we've got to have a picture here. 
we walk around us really, have you ever seen that face, really upset and um, it's just like we've been saved, but it looks like we've been baptized in lemon juice. Anybody feeling me? You come to church and it's just like, that's the, the face you see and you're like, wow. You know, it's amazing. When you smile, it makes you look a lot younger. Now, let's see the before and after. This is the same guy. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It makes you look... And all the ladies are awake now in church for some reason. Not the same guy, just kidding. But a smile makes you look so much different. And if you get a hold of verse 7, it says that we have been embraced by grace. And your, your grace story has a beginning the moment you receive the grace, but it has no ending. It says that in the ages to come, in other words, you're going to live forever one place or another. For Christians, we're living forever with God in heaven. For people that resist the grace, they're going to live forever apart from God, separated to Him in a place that we don't like to talk about called hell. But the good news is, His grace comes after us. The riches of His grace. Now, by application, why do we as Christians, and I'm talking about myself, not not just you guys, but why do we forget the grace? Why do we lose track of the grace? Why do we water down the grace? Or why do we add to the grace? I think there's a few possibilities. The one is we've forgotten how much we've been forgiven. If you take a note, Second Peter 1, 5 through 9 is such a beautiful scripture. It says, but as also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. So in other words, it's saying keep progressing in the grace. It says, for if these are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. So the danger is we can sit in our church pew week after week and we forgot who we were before we came to Christ. That's one way that we could just not really get grace. The second one is we've fallen into the lie of legalism. Part of grace, understanding grace, is it's God treating you far better than what you deserve. Now, a legalist is someone that says, okay, I believe in grace, but I believe you have to add to it. And I remember a formula given to me in college, I'll never forget. Uh, The professor gave a formula. He's like, gentlemen, what is R plus R minus R? And we're just like, "Uh, it equals R, right? Some of you got the math already. He said, the professor said, whenever you have rules and regulations minus relationship, you have rebellion." And he said, it's true in your relationship with God. It's true in your relationship with your kids. If you have rules and regulations and you don't have the relationship, you're going to rebel. And that really struck with me that we can embrace grace. All of a sudden, we begin to minimize the relationship with God and we start focusing on the rules and regulations. And eventually, our heart begins to rebel and we we go into the trap of legalism. And legalism is... I feel like I have to work or do something to earn God's grace, and I expect that of everyone else. So if you don't measure up to my standard, I look down on you. Paul said in Galatians 5, 1, another passage, he says, So Christ has truly set you free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again to the slavery to the law. In other words, it's possible after one becomes a Christian to go back thinking that I have to do something to earn God's favor. Paul would say, no. Grace is a free gift. You don't have to earn or deserve it. I think a third trap, not only can we 
forget where we came from, and not only can we fall into the lie and the lure of legalism, but if we have not fully embraced grace, it's hard to live by it. Have you noticed that? If you've never fully received and felt forgiven, it's hard to be a forgiven person. That's why some scriptures are kind of shocking. Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. And you're like, wait a second. What that's saying is a characteristic of a Christian is if you've been forgiven much, you should also forgive others much. Amen. So some of you may be asking, you know, if God is so good, we read in verse 7 that he's rich in kindness and his grace is abounding. If he's so good, then why is my world so bad? Why do bad things keep happening to me? I just uh, heard about this lady at Biltmore Baptist. If you remember her, uh, her name is Leah. She's a, a mother of three kids. And this um, first marriage, husband left her. Second marriage, husband died. And just found out last night that her husband died, her third husband died. So now she's a widow again. And it's like you have this lady serving God. And why are all these bad things happening? I mean, it's a valid question, right? And the thing is, is we live in a fallen world. And that's where Ephesians 2, 7, if you capture it, it says that in the ages to come he may show you his goodness and his grace. This world, because it's a fallen world, will never truly and fully experience all the grace there is to receive. We get a picture of it, but when we get to heaven and we live in a perfect world, then it will begin to make sense of why God is so good. But many people ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever heard that question? If God is so good and so graceful and he's so rich in kindness, why are these bad things happening? Well, the, is that really the right question? I mean, think, think, think through this verse with me for a moment. If we live in a fallen world where the Bible says Satan is the God of this age and sin abounds, the better question is not why do bad things happen, it's why are good things happening? So maybe we're asking the wrong question. And also the good people, apart from Christ, there's no goodness in us, right? He, he gives us his righteousness. So I think a better question is, it's by God's grace that we experience any goodness in this fallen world. And that changes the way you look at it. It definitely produces humility. All of you have heard the verse in Psalm 23. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall what? Follow me all the days of my life. I love in the original Hebrew that word follow. It's used of an animal in pursuit. So if it seems like God's grace is out there, just know that he's going to catch up. His goodness and mercy is chasing you down. But some of you are so quick, God has to say, be still and know that I'm God. Be still. Let his goodness and mercy catch up. And throughout the ages to come, he's going to show you how good and how amazing he is. Amen? Number two, a grace story. Your grace story started when grace breathed life into your lifeless existence. Look at verse 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Brian Chappell tells the story of something that happened in his hometown. It was two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother, and they were playing out on sand dunes. And all of a sudden, as they were running up a sand dune, they began to sink. It wasn't as solid as they realized, and they were in sinking sand. And the boys didn't show up for dinner that night, so the parents, obviously concerned, sent out a search party to find their, their boys. They're like, maybe they just got lost, you know, playing out in the sand. Who knows what happens? And when the search crew found the younger brother, he was covered up to sand up to his shoulders, just his head um, sticking out, and he was unconscious. 
And they, they, they dug him out, and when they finally got him almost out, they asked, where's your older brother at? And as he took a breath and finally regained his awareness, he said, I'm standing on his shoulders. And the search crew was just in shock. The older brother had sacrificed his life to save the younger brother, and he was standing on his shoulders. And I thought that was just such a beautiful picture in Hebrews 2, uh, 10 through 12. It says, Jesus Christ acted like an older brother so that he could bring us the glory. If he didn't come and sacrifice himself for us, we wouldn't be able to live. Just as the older brother sacrificed himself so that his younger brother could have a life. When you think about it, you and I were among the living dead, but grace came running. He came running. God came running for you, even when you weren't looking for him. And there's a few things we need to understand when we talk about grace. And if you'll write this down on your listening guide, is justice, mercy, and grace. Understanding justice, justice is God treating me as I deserve, right? So if you do the crime, you do the time, right? That's justice. Mercy is God not giving me what I do deserve. That's taking away the punishment. But grace is adding another layer on top of that, is not only do I not get the punishment, but I get God's blessings on top of that. So you think about the beauty of that. Like God's justice because of our sin demands penalty. We deserve hell because we rebelled against God. But because God is so loving and so kind, when we receive Jesus, He cancels your debt and He gives you life everlasting the moment you receive Christ. Amen? That's just such a beautiful picture of His grace. Let me paint you an illustration when you try to understand, okay, by grace you're saved through faith. What does that look like? Well, let's, let's paint a picture. I remember growing up at Lake Julian, there used to be a different kids drowning because of the undercurrent of the power plant there. So they, they basically said you couldn't swim anymore at Lake Julian. Some of you remember that. There used to be drownings there because of the undercurrent. So let's picture Lake Julian. Let's imagine a seven-year-old boy that's there. He breaks the rules. And all of a sudden, he finds himself getting sunk, sunk, uh, sunk under by the undercurrent. And as he's being taken under, um, he swims and calls out for help. So there just so happens to be a fisherman nearby. And he's got one of those life rings, those life rings that you can just throw out. And he throws it out to the little boy. The little boy grabs the life ring and is rescued from peril and from destruction. Let me ask you a question. Who saved the little boy? Did the little boy save himself? Was it the life ring that saved him? No, actually, it was, it was the fisherman, right? So here's the picture. We are saved by God. But God uses grace as the life ring to throw out. But in faith, we have to grab onto it if we're going to be saved. Does that make sense? So it's nothing we do. He enables us, but we have to receive it by faith. In other words, God doesn't wake you up one day and say, you're saved. You have to receive it. It's kind of like for those of you who are married... When you ask your wife, will you marry me? She had to say, I will and I do, right? Um, it's like that with God. It's a relationship. He's not going to force himself on you. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So here's the picture. And this is so humbling. I was talking to a, a young gentleman that's just joining the church um, this week, and he was saying, it was really good the way he was saying it. Anything good you do, you can't take credit for it. In any failure, 
You've got to realize if you're following God and you, 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 know, you fall, God's grace is going to help pick you up. So the, the idea is anything good from the moment of salvation on, it's God's grace. You can't glory in that, right? And any failure, not sinful failure, but you know, you're trying, but you're not succeeding. Um, I've heard it said, if you're following God, don't allow success to get to your head nor failures to your heart. And I think that's so good. Even the proverb says a just person falls seven times, but what? They get back up. So if you fall, you just got to keep getting back up. You got to keep going towards God. Amen. Number three, your story is a grace story. Look at the person next to you, wake them up and say, your story is a grace story. All right, everyone's awake now. Number three, see, I can see you better than you can see me up here. I can tell you're nodding off here. So number three, the creator who made you is the only one who can remake you. And you did nothing to earn this new life. Look at verse 9. It says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Last week, I gave you guys the challenge, and I'd love to hear if you guys took me up on the challenge, is share your story with someone that's still among the living dead. We talked about, you know, spiritually you were dead and physically you were dying. Go find someone that doesn't know Christ and share, share Christ with them. Well, last week, and I don't take any credit, it was definitely God, but he just kept orchestrating events giving me opportunities to share with people, and it was random how it happened. So after church, my aunt, and I should pray for her, her name's Carolyn. She's in rehab, and uh, God's been doing miraculous work. She almost had to get her foot amputated, but God's healed her up, and she's still trying to fight and recover. But I went to go visit her after church last Sunday, and this is after those kids came forward, and we had the baptism and hallelujah moment. Well, her nurse was talking to her. Her nurse's name was Crystal, and she was talking to Carolyn, and I just, you know, happened to be in there, and it was my mom and her two other sisters, so four, five women in the room, including the nurse. And I'm not part of the conversation. I just come in, and somehow the nurse begins to say, you know, my relative, she has cancer, and she needs to get saved. And I'm listening to that. I'm like, I don't really hear this terminology in Asheville outside of church, saying that someone else needs to get saved. I mean, I hear it in church. I've heard it in, you know, Bible studies. But you generally don't hear it out in the secular world. And then she was talking, and I was just listening, and I was kind of tired after, after preaching, and I was just listening. And then she goes on to say, and I need to get saved too. And I'm like, <laughs> that's like saying sick him to a dog, you know. Like, I'm just sitting there like, I didn't start the conversation, I just walked in. And for someone to realize that they need to get saved, that's, that's only happened a few times in my life outside of church where someone says, I need to get saved. So I proceed to share the, my story, share the gospel with her, and all the, all the women come, you know, so it's my aunt laying in the bed, and the three sisters and the nurse, the four women and myself are in a, a prayer circle, and she prays to receive Christ, tears coming down her face, and she, I was like, so you meant that? She was like, absolutely, and she was just crying, and the whole week she was just saying to my aunt just how God has done a new work in her life. And it says, by grace you're saved, not of works lest any man should boast. So, you know, God's out there, and there's people that realize they need God's grace. They need to receive it. And the thing is, is we just got to realize, I like to look at it like this, is that think of your life like a movie. God is the star of the movie, and it's his story, and you're just the sporting cast. That's kind of humbling to think about that, right? But God is the star, it's his story, and you're just the sporting cast. But be thankful that you get to be in the movie, right? The movie of his story. So the creator created you with a purpose. 
And he recreated you the second time so you could truly be alive for the glory of God. Amen. Number four, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You are the master's masterpiece. And he has a wonderful plan for your life. It says, for we are his workmanship. The original Greek is poimia. And it literally means a thing made. That's what the original meaning means. But what's beautiful about it is our word, poem, comes from that same word. And I think it really paints a good picture that you are God's work of art. And I know some of you have family members that are artists and obviously Aaron up here. The thing about an artist that I know is when an artist paints a picture, he or she highly values that picture. I mean, it's part of, part of them, right, on, on a piece of paper. They're artists, their creativity. The same can be said for a musician. When Stephen and Elaine sing, and that's part of their soul. They're, they're bearing out. And they, they have this sense of joy that they were able to share a piece of art with you. So the idea is, if you view yourself as God's work of art, God is very loving towards his works. He's very caring towards his masterpiece. Now, you may not feel like you're a masterpiece, but you've got to understand there's two ways to look at it. There's positionally. You notice in the preceding verses it says we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We're already there. And then there's practically your reality here and now. Now, which reality is the, the long reality, the true reality that's going to be forever? Well, the eternal reality goes on forever. The here and now is just as long as you live. So that's why Scripture says live your life with your eyes set on things above. Because your real life is with Jesus Christ. This world, is long, even if you live to be a centurion, 100 years old, that's still short compared to eternity. So you've got to change the way you look at it. So to illustrate this, that we are God's workmanship, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, I want to give you, you guys want to hear a grace story? And this is a true story. This, uh, this may shock some of you. But there was a pastor that was overseas. I believe he was in London. His name is Tony. And he said one night he, he couldn't sleep. So he did what any pastor would do. He decided to go on a walk, a journey. And for those of you who traveled in Europe, there's a lot of these like restaurants slash pubs, and they're open all hours of the night. Many of you guys know fish and chips, and they have good food. So he decides, it's about 2 in the morning or so, he decides to go have a cup of coffee, and he's sitting there. And as he's sitting there in this, in this restaurant, a prostitute comes off the street. And it's, you know, early morning hours, and, and she starts talking to another prostitute, and these prostitutes starts gathering around, and he's like, man, I'm in a pretty seedy place. And all of a sudden, actually it wasn't Europe, it was in Honolulu, sorry, wrong location. I'm now remembering where, it was in Honolulu. And um, so he was there probably to do a conference, and, you know, he, and he's listening to these prostitutes. And the one's lady, her name was Agnes, and she begins to tell the other people around, that tomorrow was going to be her birthday. And she was really sad because she had never had a birthday party all her life. And uh, Tony looked at her and said, you know, she's probably in her 30s or 40s. And all of a sudden, um, after she leaves to go about her way, he talks to the, the restaurant owner. His name was Harry. And he said, tell me about Agnes. And Harry's like, yeah, she comes in every night about 3.30. And um, her and her friends come and they just, you know, have a little morning meal and so on and so forth. And he said, you know, i got a crazy idea. I don't think I'm crazy, but I want to throw Agnes a birthday party. And he's like, you what? He's like, I just had this random idea. Maybe it's three-something in the morning while I'm thinking about it. But I want to throw her a birthday party. So he, he gets with the owner of the restaurant, 
And he decides, I'm going to do something that's going to show the love of God to this person in a way that she's never seen it before. So the next day, he's there. They set up the restaurant. There's balloons. There's confetti. There's this nice birthday cake. And all the ladies come in about their normal time, about 3.30 in the morning. And Agnes looks, what is, it? what is this? She says, happy birthday. And everyone says, happy birthday, surprise. And they begin singing happy birthday to Agnes. And all of a sudden, tears just start cascading down her face. And she looks at Harry, the restaurant owner, and said, no one's ever done anything like this in my life. And Harry's like, well, here's the cake. Let's make a wish. And Agnes pauses. And in a moment of silence, she said, can I take this to my mother at home? I've never had a birthday cake ever, and I want Mama to see this. So Agnes grabs the cake and runs out of the party. And all of a sudden, the pastor finds himself in a room full of prostitutes. I mean, talk about awkward moment. And he does what any pastor would do. He says, let's pray for Agnes. So he leads Harry, and Harry's wife's there in a room full of prostitutes in prayer for Agnes. And you know what? He showed God's love that day. And there's different reactions in the church, and I had to ask myself which reaction I would do. There's the reaction of the legalists saying that that is condoning her behavior. A pastor should not be in a place like that at 3.30 in the morning, nor should he throw a party for the prostitute. That's, that's one side. The other side is more the liberal thinker saying, well, you know, Agnes, just she was made that way, and she just wants love, you know, trying to find love in all the wrong places, and God's going to love her anyways. And then there's grace. Whenever grace rushes on the scene, grace says it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Grace takes us back to where, you remember when Jesus led Matthew, Levi the tax collector, and guess who showed up at his party? All these other tax collectors. And in Jesus' time, they were on the same level as prostitutes. Sorry for all those who do taxes. That was just in Jesus' day, not in today. Just kidding. But it, it, was, it was just, it was associated, like those are the people I don't want to associate with because... This person's taking from the husbands and the tax collectors back in that day, they could take extra money they shouldn't take. And it was, it was before the IRS and all this. But basically, grace says, listen, sometimes we have to fill the love before we can receive the love. And I'm not condoning your lifestyle nor behavior, but I'm going to love you just the way you are in hopes that it will be like the woman caught in adultery where Jesus looked at her. Everyone dropped the stones and what did Jesus say? Go and sin no more. So Christian, I know each of us struggles one side or the other. Some of us lean toward the legalistic side where it's grace plus something. And others lean on this side where it's watered down grace. But I want to take us back to grace. Where grace comes running. Where grace says, I love you just the way you are. Even when you're dead and you're down and out. I want to love you. But get this, God's grace is so powerful we may come just as we are, but we leave changed. And I think as Christians, if we can get to the point where people outside the walls of the church, we love them just as they are, and yes, we present the good news, we present the message, and yes, they do have to repent, but grace comes and says, I love you always, I love you forever, and I love you no matter what. And if we can have that towards people who aren't Christian, you know what, they begin to think there's something different about those Christians. And back to the story, Harry, the restaurant owner, he was so moved by this, he said, I am shocked that a church would do something like this. And I don't know if any church exists, but Harry said, if there is a church in Honolulu like, that, like this, I will be the first to join that church. That's what grace does. 
So in conclusion, I want you guys to think about this. The take-home truth is now that I've been transformed by God's grace, I am to become a transformer for God's grace. And as we've said before, the transformed become the transformers. So on your outline, I have a spiritual gifts test. You can go online and take it. And here's the thing. Verse 10 says, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now here's the paradox. Are you saved by good works? Absolutely not. But you're saved for good works. Not by, but you're saved for. So in other words, God has a destiny and a plan for each of us. But if we don't know how we're gifted or how we're wired, how are we going to do that? So this doesn't reveal all of your gifting, but it kind of leans you towards this gift. And one of you already sent your results, and I was excited. But if you take this test, email me your results. I'd love to see how you're gifted. It lists your top three spiritual gifts. And with that, we want to get you guys connected to a serve team. And part of the emphasis of this month and going forward is there's so many serve teams out there. Miss Betty had a really good post, Miss Betty Rickman, about now wanting servants or servants wanted or whatever you put up there. And I think it was a really good way that, you know, as a church, if we want to continue to reach people who are far from God and bring them close to God, then we've got to get serving. I've heard it said, if you're not serving, you're swerving spiritually. So take that test and let me know uh, what kind of impact that makes. Aren't you glad that grace is truly indeed amazing? And if you've really been encountered by grace, let us not water it down, nor let us not add to it. Jesus loves us just as we are, but because of grace, he changes who we are. We are new creations in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I know uh, some of us, as encouraging as the message has been about grace, some of us have been, ouch, Timothy, I lean on the legalistic side or I lean on the watering down side. And God, we all struggle on one side or the other. But God, help us to have a, a true balance of, of your word, a true balance of grace and truth. And Father, I pray the story that we heard about Pastor Tony that threw a party for people that were just so unlike him and he tried to show God's love. Help that to captivate our attention. Help that to inspire us, not to ever condone a people, but to reach them where they're at so that grace could take them to where you want them to be. If there's anyone here today as we're praying, no one looking around, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you've never encountered grace, if you've never received God's forgiveness, every week we give you an opportunity to present Christ and to receive Him. No magic in what you pray, but your prayer of faith, it's reaching out for that life ring and saying, Jesus, I believe in you. Go ahead and pray it now if you've never prayed. Jesus, I believe in you. Please forgive me of all my sins. Please come into my life I make you my Lord and Savior. And Father, for the rest of us, on that illustration, some of us have to say, God, forgive me for adding to the work of Christ. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And others would say, God, forgive me for taking away. We can't water down grace. We can't water down your truth. So Lord, help us to be balanced in that. We love you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. We're coming now to the closing hymn of invitation. You guys will stand. If you have a decision you'd like to make, Adam and I will be at the front. We'd love to pray with you.